Warning, the following contains reckless use of the word damn and masturbatory references. Since the dawn of time, man has yearned to destroy music, that loathsome beast that delights and entertains billions. I, for one, enjoy many types of music, from heavy metal to less heavy metal. Actually, I enjoy and regularly listen to rock, disco, pop, death metal, classical, opera, rap, techno, some jazz, trip-hop, even some bluegrass, or at least less Claypool's variety. Latin, holiday, new age, alternative, and even easy listening. About the only thing I don't listen to is country. My point is that if during a 20-minute drive to Walgreens to get antifungal ointment, you were to suggest that the journey might be more enjoyable and distracting from the humiliating application of said ointment, if music were to accompany us, I would not be adverse to turning on the radio or employing the CD player. You uncomfortably shift in your seat and proclaim that you have just the thing for this medical adventure, a rare cover of George Michael singing the Slayer song, Rain in Blood. As you insert the CD, I notice the face of the disc and inquire, Is that off his Memorex album? You glance at me confused. Then it dawns on me. You don't own this CD. It's just a blank disc onto which you've copied the album from someone else. You have committed a hideous act and should consider driving yourself to the nearest police station immediately. Forget the ointment. Consider it your punishment. You have your reasons. It's just a single disc. It won't hurt them. I wouldn't have bought it anyway. Those rock stars, record companies, are assholes and charge too much. This blank disc cost me ten cents, and they charge me fifteen dollars. Take that, unseen force. And of course, it's illegal. But somehow that just doesn't make it right. Let's start with my favorite excuse. This disc costs too much. I've heard the price of a blank disc compared to a music CD numerous times. I find that interesting and a little narrow-minded. Let's think about how a CD gets from the farm to your stomach. First, a group of people who normally don't even like each other get together and practice for years trying to get a record deal. Now they fail miserably. Repeat this process 100,000 times. The 100,001st band gets a deal. When you record an album, you don't just go in and play your song in a studio. Each instrument and vocal is recorded separately. This means that a studio, which may or may not be affiliated with the record company, wants to get paid for a week of usage of its facilities. Now that's understandable. There's a mixer guy that also has to do things like check the mic levels and get coffee for the band's girlfriends in a vain attempt to steal a kiss. Now regardless of his failure as a man, he still gets paid for his musical services. You have to record the sound on something, often DAT or digital audio tape. Sony doesn't give those away, those bastards. After recording, a producer will take those dozens of tracks and arrange them together, adding loops of people saying yeah, boy! and make the band sound better than they actually do by turning up the bass. This process will result in the need for more dats. Damn! And around this time, a starving artist is given a pittance for his life's masterpiece, which later becomes the cover of the album. This is handed to a graphic artist that places the band's logo smack in the middle of it and then transcribes the band's thank yous from Dave, Rock, as I make quote signs, Johnson, as well as the names of the songs, the company logo, 
the ever-important copyright, and may even include the lyrics, but probably not. After he's done designing the album art, he'll probably make something to slap on the face of the CD itself. This might just be the album art, or it might be an excerpt from Ivanhoe. But regardless, this graphic artist spends time on this, and it's probably the only piece of joy in his lonely life of laying out album covers for those who are living his dream. Later that night, he commits suicide, and is found in a dumpster with the new Ed O'Neill Sings the Blues album cover in his hand and a bloody knife in the other. If the record company is of a decent size, they'll actually have a person on staff who has to look over the cover to verify that all the necessary legal wording is accurate. After all the mixing is done, the producer makes a master disc that he hands to another company that will make another type of master disc for the purpose of replication. Using this disc, fancy expensive machinery will make up to seven CDs per day. Or maybe thousands, I'm not sure which. This company has the audacity to want to get paid for this service. While the death of the graphic artist is tragic, life goes on, and soon the cover art is heading to the local Kinko's where thousands of duplicates are made. They also have to run it through a special machine that puts those little perforations on the back cover to make a cleaner fold. Yet another machine is employed to place the front and back covers into a case. Yet another machine will print on the CD face. Yet another machine picks up duplicated printed discs and puts them into the case. Yet another machine will close the case. Yet another machine will wrap the case in plastic wrap to ensure freshness and prevent rat droppings from lowering the sound quality. In that process, there's optionally yet another machine that embeds a metal sliver inside the case that causes noises to be generated if you leave a store with an unpaid-for disc. The good thing is that all these machines were given to America by Neptunians, and they all run off a perpetual motion device. Oh, and the machines never break down, so that Maytag repairman guy was also found next to the graphic artist in the dumpster. If you haven't guessed by now, I'm being sarcastic. The graphic artist body was never found. Seriously. All those machines are pricey, require electricity, repairmen, the soul of an orphan boy, and a small armada of unskilled immigrants to run them. Now, after all the CDs are packaged, a sorcerer appears and magically transports the disc to your local mega music mart. Or if sorcerers don't exist, minimum wage can be paid to have people put them into boxes and then load the boxes onto trucks. With the use of a complex, but not very impressive, computer system, Labels and invoices can be printed out that show truck drivers which stops along their route have the least filthy whores as they transport the discs to Record Bar. I mean Turtles. I mean Media Play. Wait, all of those have been run out of business by Best Buy. Upon arriving at the store, it will probably demand three or four dollars per disc to pay the salary of a rude, unhelpful associate who was the brother of the suicidal graphic artist and never forgives the entire music industry or its supporters. Somewhere in there, the actual musical artist gets a shiny nickel per disc, and the record label takes their share also. If the artist is popular, the multiplication table shows us they'll make lots of money. But there are a lot of other people along the way that make regular wages. McDonald's is a multi-million dollar a year company. I don't hear people bitching about Ronald's salary, rumored to be millions per month. On the set of the commercial, supposedly he demands a different red nose for each take. They could take away some of those bonus packages from the guy who came up with the McRib and charged three cents less for a cheeseburger. My point is that a lot of people get paid in the making of that CD. It's not just the artist and the record label. Saying that it costs too much is funny because I bet only a few people actually know the cost of the CD. If you're saying this, consider, you probably don't know. Comparing the cost of an album to that of a blank CD is just ridiculous. 
By that logic, my 1,100-page college physics book should have cost less than $15, because I can get three reams of paper for that. But instead, it was $90. Well, maybe it doesn't cost too much. But the record labels and the artists are making way too much money. They could charge a little less and only lose millions, which would only mean one less customized Hummer they wouldn't have. First of all, reference my McDonald's analogy. Second, the world is full of jobs which, through luck or talent, pay enormous amounts. Should we become socialists and just divide the money equally? I won't even go into why that's wrong. Now let's look at the two biggest receivers of ire, the record label and the artist. The record label is a business with the goal of making money. This is normal for all businesses. I don't know why the music business in particular seems to be the target of so much more ire than any other company. Publix does pretty well. Not too many people complaining. The artist is someone whose job is to make music. The artist has a right to get paid for what they do. They happen to have chosen a career that is as much potentially lucrative as it is potentially non-lucrative. Maybe it's just sour grapes that someone likes their music but hates that the artist is making money. Okay, how about this one? I wasn't going to buy it anyway, or at least not at that price. Okay, so either you're saying, yeah, I stole it, so what? Or, it's not theft because they weren't ever going to get my money and I didn't actually take a physical object from them. I'll respond to, yes, I stole it later. But what about the record label losing no money because you didn't take something from them and because you were never going to give them money in the first place, no crime was committed? It's not a crime, is it? Now let's suppose I install a camera in your house, and I secretly film you eating Cocoa Puffs while masturbating. I then distribute this around all my friends, and we just have a grand old time watching this. I even add in those America's Funniest Home Video sound effects. Now I never tell you about this, and you never find out. Has a crime been committed? Have I invaded your privacy? I think most people would say yes to both. I've committed a crime against you, and you don't even know. You've lost no money, nor have you lost any of your possessions, and you're not physically harmed. A crime can be committed without actually taking something from someone. Regardless of whether you agree with the law, it's still illegal. I disagree with the speed limits in my area, and I can choose to speed, and no one gets hurt, but I still get in trouble if I get caught, and I would know I was choosing to break the law. Related to this, I think iTunes has done a magnificent PR job. They recognize that people think 15 bucks is too high for an album, so they only charge you 99 measly cents per song. This 99 cents makes it cheaper than a biggie drink at Wendy's. What a great psychological trick. It's so cheap, but most of my albums have at least 12 songs on them, many of them 15 or 20. If you do the math for just 12 songs, that's 11.88. Compared to 15 bucks, that's not a massive savings. When you factor in that they don't have to include the packaging, the truck driver, the rude salespeople, they're probably capable of making the same as a conventional CD sale. Now I know, they sell full albums for $9.99 often, and they had to go through special licensing with the record labels. It's just interesting that $0.99 cents seems to be a magic price where people think it's okay and they're willing to pay. And if the album has 15 tracks on it, well that would be 15 bucks. Another frequent excuse I hear is ignorance. Many people claim they honestly didn't know it was illegal. They argue, 
I can copy music off the radio. What's wrong with copying it off the disc? Not really a good comeback to that. The legal answer is that the record company owns the licensing. Basically, they have the right to deny you from using their media. This applies to movies as well. Technically, they own the album's contents even though you own the physical album. You have purchased the right to use it. In a world of gumballs and 4x4s, this abstract concept of purchasing a right has no concrete analogy. I've heard the argument of ignorance used from people copying DVDs as well. I'm not really certain I believe them, though, when DVDs force you to watch a warning label. While I'm sure you don't normally read it, I can't believe most people haven't read it at least once just because it was there. I simply don't have much of an argument for ignorance. If you're ignorant, you're ignorant, and I'm actually in favor of ignorance of the law being a valid excuse. There are hundreds, thousands of laws. Many states have unusual 200-year-old laws that are still on the books and are still used. How are you supposed to know about them if the governing body doesn't inform you of them? At least the judicial body can be lenient when ignorance is in play. So I'll let you off the hook on this one. But you can only use this excuse once, and if you're sincere, it requires that you then throw away all your illegally obtained music. How about this one? It's just a single disc. It won't hurt them. This is just rationalization. But let's say you're right. One album shouldn't hurt the label. But did you notice that it's not just you stealing music? There's millions of people online stealing music. It all adds up. Where did I get that number? Simple. I pulled it straight out of my ass. All I can go by is the sheer number of people I know that are proud to steal music, and the vocal people online who have nothing better to do than respond to articles all day long. I know only a handful of people that refuse to steal music. It's so easy. Most people aren't even going to take the time to care if it's illegal or not. How about this one? I'm just going to listen to it for a while, then I'll buy it if I like it. Hard to argue with that logic. I have a lot of CDs, many I don't like, and it would be nice if I could have listened to them a few times before I bought them. I rarely like things the first few times I hear them, so I need to hear them a few times before I really know if I like it. If you truly follow through with this and buy it after some time, or delete it if you don't like it, then technically, yes, you've committed a crime, but it was done in the same spirit as lying when your girlfriend's ex-boyfriend shows up on the doorstep, drunk, fresh out of jail for beating up a cop, asking if Julia is there, and you say no. You're really just borrowing it at this point. The main problem with this argument is too often it's simply rationalization to initially steal the music. But how often do you hear somebody say, Wow, I got this great album and I already have it sitting on my hard drive. The sound quality is great and I could even burn it to a CD and print the album cover that I pulled off Amazon. I think I'm going to go blow $15 so I can get the rest of the album pamphlet and have the right to say I purchased this. I'll wager not that often. I'll wager never for most. Some people steal music and then reply, Yep, I stole it. At least these people are honest. I have more respect for people that directly admit they stole it than those who steal it and rationalize it away. It's kind of an honest dishonesty. Since you know you're a criminal and Interpol is seeking you, I won't waste any more of your time. So I've established what the law already says. It's illegal, like it or not. So what's really wrong with it besides breaking a rule on paper? You wouldn't run your favorite author down in the backwoods of Maine preventing him from writing anything decent ever again, would you? But you like a band's music and you don't care if your actions prevent them from making another album? So even if no one really loses money, they simply don't make as much.
If it's not a huge artist, this may make the difference of whether or not they make another album. Many artists are fairly popular and yet still have to work normal jobs just like everybody else. Despite my broad musical taste, I'm constantly looking for new music, and I think most music is just awful. When I find something I like, I want to support that artist, so they'll continue to make music I like. This issue seems unique to music, movies, and software. Name another area where brand loyalty is created, and yet people feel justified in not supporting the brand. Maybe it's only unique because it's only possible with those yet. Might be why there's not a big push for electronic books. I know the print industry is very fearful of piracy. Okay, maybe you think music comes and goes and you really don't care. But I bet, by virtue of the fact that you're technically savvy enough to copy the music, you'd like to continue to be able to do so. Because of the seriousness of piracy, the DMCA was passed. The DMCA, or Digital Millennium Copyright Act, was passed in 1998 and is the worst law I've seen all month. The DMCA's most heinous of all rules is that it makes it illegal to develop a means to bypass copy protection. See, there's already a law against copying things, and people have already employed copy protection, and people have already found ways around it, so they made a law to make it illegal to try to get around that copy protection. DVDs have built-in copy protection, and while there is software that can crack it, illegally, the DMCA has prevented copying DVDs from becoming mainstream. All this talk about stealing music and I don't have a problem stealing movies? No, I have a problem with that too. However, I have a bigger problem with not being able to use something I purchased in the manner I choose. Did you know it's illegal to put your DVDs that you purchased on your video iPod? It's only illegal because you'd have to use an illegal piece of software to do it. Actually, technically, it's been ruled legal if you use a video capture device to copy the DVD for your own personal use. That's only because you're not bypassing the copy protection or breaking it. You're simply playing it and recording it. But that makes the process much more tedious. By stealing music, you created the DMCA and have given legitimacy to DRM. You have made it so I can't legally put all of my DVDs on my hard drive to have instant access to them. You've made it so legal software can't be made that allows pressing a single button to rip a DVD. How long do you think CDs will be around? How long until another format, with copy protection from the get-go, becomes popular? CDs will probably be around for quite a while. There's a lot of people who are fearful of a new format for just this very reason. Almost all of the MP3 players on the market support either Microsoft's audio format or Apple's, but none of them support both. They're each in a battle to be the winning format. It's gonna really suck if you're not on the winning side and you suddenly can't play new music on your player. Thank you, DMCA. Thank you, pirates. There is no way to stop piracy. There will always be piracy. Period. Hackers can always get around any security. Without going into the technical side of it, let me point out that a DVD player or CD player or whatever has to be able to know how to read it so it can play it. Therefore, someone else can emulate the DVD player in software. Even if you're using hardware to do the encryption, that can be emulated as well. It'll just be slower. My words will fall on deaf ears. People will continue to steal music. It's easy to lose your freedom when there's a threat, but it's difficult to get that freedom back even when the threat is gone. 
The very real threat of American record labels losing money allowed us all to lose a great deal of freedom for how we enjoy our artistic culture. I'm disgusted to think of what further freedoms we'll lose from here. Visit our website at logicallycritical.com. Send feedback to podcast at logicallycritical.com.